0: Uh, uh. I'm Morgan And I'm Isabel. And this is Woman
1: A podcast about romance novels About ferrets India Psychedelic drugs About bad marriages
0: About unorthodox ways of getting into good marriages About plots against the regent About correspondence
1: About titillation and non-release. About
0: losing your favorite shawl. About prison hulks. (laughs) I want to clarify, Isabel's not talking about a ship. (laughs) (laughs) She's talking about a a giant green failed science experiment in stripy pants.
1: Also known as the quiet eyes of Mark Ruffalo.
0: But most of all, it's about that first thing. Romance novels. And others (laughs) This week is a very special week for me. We are talking about My Sweet Folly by Laura sale. I guess I'll read the back. Yes. I want to read
1: some of the blurbs, if that's okay, because I no. think they're really good. No blurbs. My Sweet Folly. His letters began with My Sweet Folly. Over seven years, the innocent correspondence between Folly Hamilton and her husband's cousin in India, Lieutenant Robert Camburn, transformed into a secret passion. After Folly's husband died, Robert became the guardian of her stepdaughter, and on his return to England summoned them to his imposing estate. In an instant, Folly's expectations of a heroic soldier were destroyed, for the Robert Cambern was a man on the edge of madness, tormented by unseen demons. Possessing a dark seductiveness and a tempestuous nature, he both frightened and fascinated Folly, but fear turned into desire and madness into mystery, as Folly was drawn deeper and deeper into the danger that surrounded.
0: You can't read the blurbs. A true
1: storyteller, San Diego Union Tribune, brilliant, innovative, a de cour, one of the most gifted writers in the romance genre today, Inside Romance. Now the winner of the Romance Writers of America's coveted Golden Choice Award and the New York Times bestselling author of The Dream Hunter presents her most enthralling and suspenseful novel to date.
0: I picked this up at the Salvation Army in the West Loop for 50 cents. Very excited to spot Alora Kinsale after Melanie Johnson introduced us to her. After I told Isabeau that I purchased it. And then after the first three pages, I told Isabeau we could not talk about it on the podcast because I liked it too much. But then old Slow Read Morgan <laughs> had to push aside the book we were originally supposed to talk about and offer up an alternative. And I did my sweet folly because I had already read it. I...
1: am mad about how much I enjoyed this book. Morgan, I have to get up at 630 in the morning. And on two occasions this week, I stayed up until 330, looked at my watch and was like, I could just keep reading and stay (laughs) awake for the full 24. The first 200 pages of this book are not only the page turniest of page turners, but just a delight in every way that I can imagine. Wow. Yeah. I'm mad about how good this book
0: is. I am mad about how good this book is. This book is one of those books that you read and you're like, well, why would I ever try? I'll never write a romance novel as good as My Sweet Folly. Oh boy. I don't know where to start. Let's start at the very beginning. There's a ferret. There's a town called Toot Above the Batch. (laughs)
1: That's all you need. Whoa,
0: man. Do you know, this book is about that thing. And I think like, there's no way Laura Kinsale could have known this. Mm-hmm. But this book is about that thing where you start correspondence with a guy who lists his height in his Tinder profile. Mm-hmm. And that does make you more attracted to him. And then you meet him in person and find out that he is diagnosed bipolar disorder. And you still really like him. And you have to make a decision about whether or not you're going to go on that second date. Except that experience is extended about six years Mm -hmm. and and involves intrigue with the Prince Regent Mm -hmm. and a mystery to solve and many different estates.
1: Murder Most Foul. Murder Regular.
0: I want to start with the letters because this That's it, the book started!
1: I know. Can you
0: believe that those are included in the introduction when they're like the best part of the book?
1: the best part of the book. They're so both atmospheric and entirely interior. You learn without either of them saying that Folly is in a marriage with a man who cannot love her and that she despite her best intentions also cannot love and that she has this really hard road to sew with her stepdaughter and that like everything is just a little bland and a little oatmeal and then these letters from India sweep into her life like a fucking godsend and she's entirely riveted and like in the same way that like you know that like here is an army human being who doesn't like being in the army in India and thinks that some of the things that the empire is doing is wrong and well, like uh, part of the
0: East India company company,
1: company yeah. yeah and we don't learn in the letters that he's married I assumed up until that last letter that he wasn't and so that came as a shock to me and Game Folly ten, I was
0: totally shocked when yeah. he was married there's this other great thing where we feel like we know these people entirely and it turns out that Folly is exactly herself all of the time and our hero is actually very different externally mm-hmm. to who he is on the letters and that doesn't change throughout the book even mm-hmm. as he like softens and they or it doesn't really soften but even as he works comes through into his own, yeah just like the working through and they end up together he still has this duality mm-hmm. that is riveting it's so upsetting in the beginning and then at the end it's just fascinating and you're just fascinated by him. Not beautiful people. No. Still deserving of love. Described without insulting them. And I think that's one of the things that I think is so important. It's like one of those moments where it's like romance is
1: such a wonderful genre and that I think it really can encapsulate true life or like a true feeling very succinctly. Like mm-hmm. there's this moment where it's like she wasn't handsome until she smiled and even like handsome isn't a nice way to say that a woman is pretty because it's like she's not pretty. She's handsome. (laughs) (laughs) And she wasn't even handsome until she smiled. And like that's such a true experience where it's like everyone is a little bit more lovely when they're happy and like everyone's a little bit more lovely when they're in love. And like this book did a really good job like of explaining how a person can begin as plain to you. And then like the more you know them, the more you experience them, the more you fall in love with them, the less plain they are because they're not plain to you.
0: Yeah, I mean that's just in the introduction yes. the correspondence between our two characters who just kind of happen <laughs> to be witty, adventurous, lonely people who happen to find each other. And uh, and then they end up in the same space and it is wild.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about that. They correspond for seven years because like you get a letter every six months, which yeah. I also loved that that was such an excellent way to like set a metronome of long time. And so her and far away. And far away. And her husband dies, and she's like, Hey, he dead. Maybe I'll come to India because my stepdaughter's in school. And he's like, Don't come, I'm married. And like that's the last we hear of it. And then like two years later, she gets this new letter from her stepdaughter's guardian who happens to be the man that she was in love
0: with now he's he's, yeah he's got the he's got that guardianship yeah he says you gotta come to my house and she's like okay because her stepdaughter is about to debut in, in her first season. season and she's like we need this money we've been working really hard at this home stretch baby girl <laughs> i know we're going to be taken care of and like it's like very you know they've become friends through their grief even though melinda doesn't truly understand the totality of foley's grievances because she lost her husband and she also lost the love of her life Anyways, so they're friends and fully has fully committed herself to being a good stepmom, which is a project she wants from the beginning. She wants to be a better stepmom. She wants to be less selfish. She's in her 20s. She's working on it. And then by the time he comes back, she's in her 30s.
1: She meets him. She's just in the letter. She meets him. She's just turned 20. He gets her a beautiful cashmere shawl for her birthday. First
0: gift pearl stick pin. That's right. For Second her birthday. gift, cashmere Mir-Shall. shawl. Seven years goes by after their correspondence ends. She's, she's 30. 30. She's
1: just turned 30. Melinda, her stepdaughter, is 18. And so she's eight at the very beginning. And like when you said, this is it, baby girl. I was like, that's so true. And we yeah. start in the letters where she's like, my stepdaughter doesn't like me. And I like, I've worked really hard. And like the vulnerability of knowing that you can't step into someone else's shoes, but you need to forge a relationship regardless. Yeah. And then the, we pick up where the that tortured relationship had really flowered and that like Melinda loves Folly and calls her mama and like Folly's only 30.
0: I also want to talk about Laura Kinsale and how generous she is with a beautiful stepdaughter. There are moments where Foley is envious of the attention Melinda gets because she is so beautiful. She looks like her dead husband's dead wife, you know, and that's hard for Foley. But the book is never judgmental of Melinda. It says, you know, she is beautiful. She has a title. That's enough to get her pretty secure in her life and she's going to take Foley along with her and she's also you know whenever Robert is like no you can't go to London you can't go to this season because he's in this paranoid state and he doesn't want Foley to leave his home she is upset because she's not going to be able to go to the balls but she's also upset because she's worked really hard for this she's created her own wardrobe this is her job this is her future security and I like that the book can hold those two truths yep can hold the fact that Melinda is 18 and she wants to fall in love and she wants to go on a great adventure Sure. And Melinda is also responsible for the well-being of her stepmother and herself and all of their staff, like is also taking on that responsibility, holds those two truths in equal regard yep. as legitimate and worthwhile pursuits. I fucking love that. There's never a question that there's this bad side of Melinda that's frivolous or like that Foley is doing something in spite of the way she looks. The way she looks doesn't matter because people love being around her. She's warm and generous and she's... Funny. Funny, and she's not, you know, th- there's a version of this heroine that's like, yeah, I'm not pretty, so I'm tough, and I'm tough in a way that's mean to other people. And that's not who Foley is. Mm-hmm. She's tough in the way that she knows how to survive, but she's also tough in the way that she knows how to ask for help and give help. Mm-hmm. I mean, these characters, I just adore them.
1: It's hard not to. I think, like, <laughs> even the bad ones. Even the bad ones, and I think, like, that's, I think Laura Kinsale, and like, this was true also of Flowers from the Storm where it's like here is a human being who knows how to write woundedness right Mm -hmm. our hero is incredibly wounded he's in this paranoid state when we actually meet him in his corporeal form yeah but not unlike in Flowers from the Storm you know who he's like suffered a stroke or a seizure or whatever the woundedness is absolutely incomprehensible to Foley when she first meets it and it, it, it operates in a way that's actually really detrimental he refuses to allow them a London season he refuses to let them off the property yeah He like, it's actually scary. He's two shades past Rochester's wife in the attic. Like he's like an actual bluebeard. Like you might not make it out alive. Yeah. And like Folly is truly and well terrified because she knows that not only does all her hopes, but also Melinda's hopes are pinned on this. And she wants Melinda to make a good match so that she isn't bored and sad and toot in the batch like she was in her 20s. And so like the way in which woundedness operates totally inaccessible to folly and like operates in this realm of fear but she never like hates him or castigize him she's like I just don't understand what's happening like there is something really wrong here and the person that I thought I loved it's not even betrayal like she doesn't even ever name it that way she's just like this isn't what I thought
0: yeah I think it does start out with disappointedness yes but even though the characters judge each other the book never judges the characters right. there's a character who is this very charming man and then we find out that he's knocked up Dingley. Dingley. He has uh, seven daughters. Seven daughters. He has a wife who were first introduced as, you think of her as like a Xanaxed housewife of a bygone era. And the book even develops her as this woman who just has given her life raising seven daughters and has kind of lost track of herself in the process and gets to go to London for this season because of Robert and she reconnects with like, she's this really fascinating woman who has these beautiful friends and people who love her and even her husband who got one of Robert's housemaids pregnant, he reveals himself to Foley in this moment of vulnerability that this will become a key scene. But he says like, I just felt so invisible and this woman who was young and beautiful saw me. And the book's like, yeah, it was silly. It was a mistake. But even though he ends up being like a bad person and really screwing the pooch, the book is never like, this motherfucker! You know what I mean? It never has that moment of like, look at this, gross, gross, piece of garbage it's like oh this vulnerable person did something stupid in a moment of sadness that's what everyone's doing and everyone's just trying to make it right
1: there's this thing that sometimes you say where it's like they make garbage decisions but they're like not garbage people and like this book really operates on
0: that but the other thing that like keep in mind Foley is married when she starts the correspondence correspondence she's described as flirty and she owns up to that but there are other (laughs) times she's like yeah should not have sent that letter
1: get that I did
0: came off uh, pretty strong there yeah Uh, yeah, like she's aware that she is unfaithful
1: right and like he basically sends her a letter he's like I want to kiss you into submission and we don't know at that time that he is actually married when he sends that yes but the other thing that I think like that I want to bring up really carefully or not even carefully it's like dingley sounds a lot like bingley and like
0: (laughs) yeah for a second I was like ding no oh yeah yeah. it is dingley yeah
1: it's dingley and
0: it also sounds like dingleberry it does
1: sound like which Berry. is when
0: poop hangs off your asshole hairs it sure
1: does <laughs> but the reason why I bring up Bingley from Jane Austen is because like it seemed to me that here's a country gentleman who is like wowed by how much his wife in the beginning really loves him and then like you have this oh, other yes. long suffering very patient woman in his wife mm. who doesn't not represent a Jane character and then there's like the move to London and like the way in which this book uses and I think very smartly but also in winking like none of it is like oh Covert, but there's so many of like, we didn't treat Bingley nice enough in Jane Austen and we didn't treat Mrs. Bennett nice enough for yeah. the conquest of having to marry fucking five daughters or lose the farm.
0: I think it's so interesting to point out the ways in which My Sweet Folly is responsive to Pride and Prejudice.
1: Not the least of which is letters which reveal the true heart and intent of our hero. Yeah,
0: I do want to bring to the platform now that I've been given this opportunity, a new, perhaps it's a hot take. Hmm. But I think Romance-landia mm. imagines its grandmother as Jane Austen. Mm-hmm. I would argue there is one true grandmother of the romance genre. k <laughs> No, not K-Dub. Although, big ups to my gal. <laughs> Kathy! <laughs> Kathy Woody! I would say the central text of the romance genre is in fact Jane Eyre. Yeah. And uh, we can talk about that more. We should find an opportunity in which to elucidate that because this is not that opportunity. Well, it kind of is. We got a bit of a Rochester. We have, and that's why but I But like, we always have a, a Rochester. Rochester. We always have a Rochester or a Darcy. Yeah, I think they are. I think they're dual identities. And I think, depending on the story you want to tell, You either choose a fully fleshed out, completely realized individual and that individual inevitably ends up being a Rochester or you're like, I just want a pudding faced projector screen and then it's a Darcy.
1: First of all, Matthew McFayton isn't a pudding face.
0: <laughs> I think he's a pudding face. Have you seen him in Succession? <laughs> that's true.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or anything else. That's true. Like That's the <laughs> thing where it's like people are situationally attractive. <laughs> it's like Matthew McFayton is not attractive to me as a human, except he when he's a... walking across the moors. Did you see him in Frost versus Nixon? No, he was in Howard's End, the new Howard's yes, End. Yes, he was incredible as a bearded human.
0: He is... Just such a talent. Oh my God. He's so, he's talented. so talented. Oh talented. Oh my God. <laughs> he's just so talented. Podcast into podcast, Matthew McFadden. McFadden into You by Mazzy Star. Our podcast. Oh. Just so talent. What a talent. <sighs> what a talent. A real strange chameleon for f- such <laughs> solid granite features
1: that don't change. But also pudding like. But also strangely soft. Has a
0: human being ever looked more like a golden retriever? <laughs> Slash a murderer. If you you crossed a golden retriever with the mask of Jason, <laughs> you would get Matthew McFadden's true story. I don't think that's true. The dopey eye. I think he's so handsome. I think if I met, if I met Matt, if I met Matthew McFadden in a bar and Matthew McFadden like, come on the podcast. He was like, what's up, Oregon? Because I'm probably exactly his daughter. He could get it. Oh my God, obviously. Outside of, no, outside of context, he's never been in a movie. If I saw him, he could get it.
1: He'd have to like speak to me in dulcet tones and then it would be over. But like- To be
0: honest, if he spoke to me, he could not get it. Really? You know how I feel about the English. That's they true. They come into our country. Mm-hmm. They act like they're entitled to our American poonanny. Mm-hmm. They do act like that. With their English accents. Mm-hmm. Because they all saw love action. They did. And they were like, where are my five Milwaukee supermodels? That's my very good English accent. I don't
1: even know what I want to say. I like this book so much. I think you're so funny. I'm so glad that we do this. (laughs) I'm so pleased. I'm thinking about Rochester. I'm thinking about Darcy. I'm thinking about how smart and subtle, but also... No, here's the thing (laughs) that I want to say about Laura Kinsale. Here is a human being who... Looks great in all hats. Looks great in all hats and has really great covers and is an incredible... Pros human. But more than that, is a true humanitarian. Is a true
0: humanitarian? And here's the thing that I want to say. Looks at human beings and understands them as whole.
1: Which elevates this romance outside of the pleasure project, outside of any project. It just becomes a delicious book to read that also happens to have sexy bits. And the thing that is so important about this subtlety is that it never pulls a punch. And that's what I think is the thing that I want to come around to. Where it's like, in prose writing especially, there's this thing where you like hedge a bet. And so you don't use like active verbs or you don't say that the person is black. You say that they're tan. And like whatever it is that you're like, you're hedging your bet for like the widest audience. Laura Kinzale never... Hedges a bet. She always lands a punch. And the thing that's so great about it is that she doesn't do it at anyone's expense.
0: No. You know, and I would say, even like whenever we're introduced to a character who I think if she appeared in a romance novel published in 2019, the Duchess of Melbourne, she's a cosmopolitan woman. She's progressive politically. She's got thoughts. She hosts these salons. She brings in these young thinkers. She gives them space. She gives money. She gives support to the people she likes in the form of just giving you a ticket to the right ball
1: All max. if you
0: need it or giving you actual capital with which to travel as Lord Byron. Who makes an appearance in the book? Name does. drop. Um, <laughs> I wonder how much they paid the actual Lord Byron to make an appearance. <laughs> but I... like PepsiCo. There should be more pubic hair play in romance novels. Hard agree. Anyways, even Lady Melbourne, a character who we're supposed to like, the punch is not pulled at like, she's also like a racist. Yes. Like whenever she tries to espouse her progressive views on India, it is revealed that she holds these ideas but doesn't actually understand them. And in that, lack is actually causing harm to the discourse. The book isn't mean tour about it, but it is like them's the breaks. Yeah,
1: I thought that was really interesting. I mean, I have a lot more to say about what I think is potentially my weirdest part of this whole novel, but we can get to it. But yeah, I think in all of the ways, like especially Dingley though, because like, so when we first meet this erstwhile country gentleman who feels a lot like Bingley and Elizabeth's dad, the thing that's so interesting is like, he shows up as like a form of reason. Because- I would
0: say not Elizabeth's dad because Elizabeth's dad is pretty passive to me and Dingley is active. He gets passive though. He's trying to get rid of those girls. He is (laughs)
1: He is psyched to get them to London But he does this thing where he shows up And he So Melinda and Folly are at the Abbey Mm -hmm. And Robert is crazy The butler doesn't really know what to do. Robert thinks that he's being poisoned. He's told them that they can't have a season. He's told them that they can't use the coach. He's told them that they can't leave the property. And so then into this mess, Dingley shows up as the country gentleman within next estate over. And he's like, hey, what's going on, y'all? You haven't been here in a while. I just want to welcome you to the neighborhood. And Robert's like, yeah, whatever. And then Folly's like, we're in real trouble. I don't know what to do.
0: Robert leaves the room and Dingley's like, that guy's pretty weird, right? Yeah. He's like,
1: I'm not just making that up.
0: gives her space in which to be like I need help yeah I need help and, and he's then like he actually delivers on help gentlemen if you are listening to this podcast one of the most frustrating things is when you offer help to women to people of color and then you don't actually do it I've had experiences where I've been hassled by men at bars and a male bartender has discreetly told me listen let me know if you're having a problem and I've been like, okay, I'm having a problem. I need your help. And they're like, <laughs> that's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I can't help you. Yeah, exactly. And of course they can. They can help me so much more than I can help myself. I don't want to ask a fucking bartender for help. Like he's got his own job, but like I need help and you're offering it. And then they don't deliver. It's happened to me more than once. Mm-hmm. And that's on like a super personal one-to-one basis, but also when you go to vote.
1: I actually have a really good story about this. And like, I think about this in terms of Dingley, who is like a secondary character, but also incredible. Incredibly multifaceted so like he's like Hey that guy's really weird you seem sort of On edge and she's like oh my god I don't know what we're gonna Do and he's like great you're gonna come to my house You're gonna bring your stepdaughter and then we're gonna Figure this out but you don't have to stay here anymore And that's awesome and like to your bar Anecdote it's like as a former bartender I used to also be incredibly Hassled and there were managers Who would help me and there were managers that wouldn't And I had this one moment and I remember it very Clearly it's the end of the night all the patrons Are supposed to be out of the bar I'm beginning to count my Drawer which is you know it's thousands of dollars in there and it's like not an exposed moment because everyone's supposed to be gone and suddenly someone had been hiding in the bathroom. Oh, that's the worst! And so I have all of this open money but this person had also been giving me grief for the last hour and a half of my bar shift.
0: really? Yeah,
1: and it was like really uncomfortable and I tried to put them off. Like they'd had a huge bar tab so I wanted that tip because like I had bills to pay and I just remember being so uncomfortable and then he cornered me inside the bar so he was like behind the bar. I have the cash open and I'm like, I don't know how this is going to go but I actually now feel physically threatened and my manager that night he and I didn't really super get along but in this moment like he sees what's happening on the camera comes out from where he is he shows up and he's like hey hey she's told you that you can't be here and to leave her alone why do you continue and he's like I'm just trying to be cool he's like you're not cool leave and like using like all of the respective male diaphragm to make another person leave to protect me and then like you know got him out locked the door and he's like I'm so sorry that happened I didn't realize he was still in here. Like, are you okay? That's what allyship looks like. We had a fine working relationship. We weren't friends or anything, but he used his physical space to intimidate another human being who's using their physical space to intimidate me.
0: And I want to address imaginary feedback on this. Mm-hmm. There is nothing as a woman you could have done no. to have gotten rid of that person. Even if you said, fuck it, which I'm sure you had at that point regarding your tip. There is.
1: Oh, for sure. I was like, I'm no. married, and I wasn't married at the time. I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to throw everything I have at you. I'm going to throw the protection of
0: invisible men. But also that- you probably were like, please leave. Oh, please, yeah. You used all the power of your diaphragm, but by virtue of the fact that you're a woman, people feel entitled to you. Right. And that I have to like give them space to be entitled to me. You have to give them time. You have to give them your body. You have to give them your kindness. Yeah. You have to give them your patience. People expect everything from you and will not hear it yep. when you say I'm keeping this for myself. Right, or my business.
1: Yeah, and like this isn't for you. Yeah, never listen, and that's
0: why allyship is important. And allyship matters. Yes, Isabel (laughs) had done everything, Mm -hmm. had tried to stop everything, had reached the limits of her capacity as a human being to help to fix her situation, and she needed someone with more social capital than her to come in and fix the situation. And that's what it really is. That's what allyship really is. It's like you had put your yourself on the line to the farthest edge that you could push it and you were about to get hurt. Yeah. And that's what it felt like. You were already hurt. Right. And it takes someone who's willing to risk getting hurt themselves to take on some of that pain. Yeah. That's what. Because I'm sure he was
1: scared shitless. I'm sure. Like not a big person. It doesn't
0: matter how big they are. Exactly. That is scary. It is. To confront a person like that. Right.
1: But it's also, it's like, there was a moment where it's like, my manager understood that I had come to the end of anything that I could do and that another person and another person's authority now needed to be leveraged. And like, that was a moment where it's like, I understand in a crystalline moment that will is indelibly captured in my brain that like this is why allyship matters
0: anyway so like in that moment dingley i have to say i did not think we're going to talk about dingley this much
1: me neither i'm actually frankly surprised (laughs) as well that's what's so great about laura kinsale it's like here's a secondary character who's like kind of a shit dude but like also here are the moments where it operates in a realm of helpfulness and also badness but also it's like he's always human
0: it's pedagogy without being pedantic yeah and that's really a gift okay so this week's sponsor of Romance is Audible. Audible has the
1: world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment, including Audible Originals.
0: Audible Originals are stories created exclusively for audio, including documentaries, exclusive audiobooks, and scripted shows that you can't hear anywhere else.
1: Audible keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. You'll finish more stories when you listen with Audible and always be part of the conversation.
0: With the convenient Audible app, you can listen anytime, anywhere, and on any device mobile Alexa enabled Bluetooth and more
1: listen at the gym while you're shopping in the car while traveling <laughs> anytime you can't read you can listen with audible we
0: need two hands free eh?
1: <laughs> come on now, you know please. what I mean <laughs> more than ever before. Every month, you can choose one Audible regardless of price, as well as two Audible originals from a fresh
0: selection. Members stay motivated and inspired with unlimited access to exclusive guided fitness and meditation programs. I need some meditation in we all do. I need some fitness in my life as well.
1: Sign up for free updates from the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and Washington Post delivered daily to the app. Necessary info in these times, y'all.
0: Audible members can easily exchange any title they don't love at any time. Members keep their library of listens
1: forever,
0: even if they cancel. Awful. Just like memories. <laughs> Start a 30-day trial and choose one audiobook and two Audible Originals absolutely free. Start
1: listening with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook and two Audible Originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash woe or text woe to 500-500.
0: That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com forward slash W-H-O-A or text W-H-O-A. To 500 500. We would recommend picking up for your first audiobook, My Sweet Folly by Laura Kinsale, the subject of today's very podcast.
1: It's narrated by Nicholas Bolton. And let me tell you what, listeners, Nicholas Bolton's dulcet tones, audibles, accessibility. It was a wonderful listen. And I finished it in record time because everything worked for me great. I was embarrassed to listen on public transit.
0: I love that Nicholas Bolton slightly softens his voice whenever he is speaking from the female perspective in the audiobook. And it sounds silly, but it's not. It actually works really well.
1: He's an incredible voice actor.
0: Laura Kinsale is famous one of the best romance authors to experience via audiobook.
1: Indeed. Also one of the pioneers in the 90s to understand how valuable listening would be.
0: So if you want to take advantage of this awesome opportunity, once again, go to audible.com forward slash woe or text woe to 500500. And with that, get listening. Get listening. Sexiest part. Whoa!
1: <laughs>
0: this is a sexy. Book. It's got some sexy
1: parts. You know, it has so many sexy parts, but there's surprisingly few sex scenes.
0: <laughs> mm. I'll do a sex scene. You don't feel pressure. You're I don't pressure. feel pressured. You never feel pressure to do a sex scene. I don't. <laughs> Here I am holding it down for the perverts. You get to be like with the clouds past her face, and he thought, "Oh, she's truly." A brilliant <laughs> woman. I was like, that's very sexy. <laughs> what can I say? It about. <laughs> what can I
1: say now? I find recognition sexy. My sexiest part, other than the letters, obviously, which are par excellence, sexy for me.
0: Because it's flirty. It's so butterfly. Yeah,
1: it's that. It's like you just, it tickles you. And then it like accelerates and. Decelerates, and you're like, whoa, it is. It's like an actual roller coaster. So I would say that my truly most surprising sexiest bit was I she, love that she has retreated to Dingley's country estate. They've put her up and Mrs. Dingley ushers Robert up the stairs to the bedroom where Folly's trying to collect herself. And like oh. Mrs. Dingley's like, this guy came out of the fog to find you. So I'm going to go downstairs. <laughs> and we're like, fuck you, Mrs. Dingley. Say an ex And he's like, Folly, you can have your London season. I'm so sorry. These are the circumstances under which I will allow it. Slash, I'm going to fucking kiss the shit out of your face. And then she's like, obviously incredibly confused because he's been cruel and cold and distant to her for the last few days. So much so that she's had to escape to somebody else's house. And he starts kissing her. And then she has this like visceral reaction where she's like, I've never done this before. And he's like, you mean kiss on the mouth? And there's this thing where Laura Kinzel writes where he like licked her upper lip to open her mouth. And I was like... (gasps) I was like, this is very visceral. I can't look away. And Um, then they dry hump. And you all know how I feel about that.
0: A dry hump to completion for one of them. Mm -hmm. There's also this whole scene where Robert is just psyching himself up to leave his house. Mm -hmm. Because, okay, Mm -hmm. we've like skirted around Mm -hmm. this. He's being drugged.
1: But what it looks like is just madness. We don't know that he's being drugged because he says things like, I see my dead wife. And I see all these other things. And he's tormented. And it also looks like agoraphobia at first because he won't leave the house. It
0: looks like bipolar disorder. Right. It looks like all sorts of things. He's
1: hired this butler who's never been a butler before, but was a Bow Street runner. Lander. (laughs) Secret royalty. Secret royal. He's yeah, the fourth which, son. Yeah,
0: which like fucking blows. Yeah, he it and does. and Melinda fall in love. Right,
1: which is like, great. But it would have been better if he'd just been a Bow Street Runner.
0: Yeah. But anyways, he decides he's heard rumors about the Prince Regent going mad like the king. He discovers this plot wherein people are drugging him because he has this knowledge of the drugs from dabbling in spiritualism when he was in India. So they want to get him out of the picture, as it were. And they're actually drugging the Prince Regent in order to undermine his claim to the throne. A huge chunk of the book is this mystery magical adventure mm-hmm. to prove that this is a fact. And like it's all about magicianship mm-hmm. and like sleight of hand. And I love the sleight of hand. And kind of talks about like cults of spiritualism and what is explainable and what's not explainable. Tickled the old Morgan Ivory. It's just <laughs> that stuff. But yeah, there's this whole scene where prior to when he goes to the house where he's psyching himself up to leave his home and deciding that folly is worth it. That mm. is very romantic.
1: And it's romantic, capital R. It's like Rochester calling Jane across the moors. And like that's how like the magical realism of this book really plays. Because it's like, I didn't know at that moment whether or not Robert was agoraphobic, whether or not he was a paranoid schizophrenic, whether or not he had bipolar disorder. There's clearly something wrong with him. Yeah. But the book wasn't invested in explaining it yet.
0: It's okay for us to speculatively diagnose characters. Do not speculatively (laughs) diagnose people in your real life. Don't do that. Not safe.
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought that was brilliant. And also like very, it's like very wet. It's like April in this part of England. So everything like the horse's hooves are like making sounds in the mire on the road. And like there's this like crazy fog when she like gets to Dingley's house. And then they show up in London and like everything's bright. And like there's so much to do and see and like be. And this like very nice widowed colonel takes a shine to Folly. Yeah. And she's like trying to envision herself with this We're person. We're in town now. We're in, in town. town. Because after the dry humping, he's allowed them to take his townhouse all of the dingleys and melinda and folly and so she's going around with melinda to like almax and all these other places and she meets this very nice colonel who constantly compliments her and he's
0: a widow a widower i should say and they kind of start a little
1: flirtation
0: and she's like this doesn't excite me and then
1: Robert shows up oh man and does Lord he Byron
0: ever as part of his plan to figure out what the fuck is going on you think of him as this like very vulnerable like broken person and then he sweeps into the ballroom in his like full regalia with Lord Byron and everyone's like a little scared of him because he's like a little dangerous and you're like I mean it's totally true like these like genuinely unstable vulnerable men come across as like tantalizing bad boys yeah.
1: Yeah, they do. It's like craggy and dangerous and aloof, but also wounded, broken and have all of the power over you because they control the purse strings of your estate.
0: Yeah. Anyways, but he's like playing this part. Yeah. That was who he was prior to his marriage. And oh my God, there's just so much like I can't go into it. Like everything is so key. Even the person who fully buys her ferret from Mm -hmm. turns out to be like an important. It's not like a little side thing that Mm -hmm. she has this ferret. It's not like a weird eccentricity. Like, the ferret matters (laughs) throughout. It's incredible that you are able to take this much whimsy in a romance novel and make all of the pieces work together the way it does. Like, a Tetris. But I want to talk about my sexiest part. Okay. My sexiest part, it's at the end of the book. Mm -hmm. I'm a little bashful. (laughs) (laughs) Is it the last pages? (laughs) Oh, my God. The last pages. They resume their correspondence because they're married now. And that's his easiest way to express himself to her. And so... But no, it's not that it is. They're married and they're sleeping in separate rooms. And she's like, this is fine. This is what we did before. Like, it's a sham marriage anyways, just to like keep her from testifying against him or something. I can't remember. And he comes down. They've dry humped before. And he gets her to ask him to perform oral sex on her but the book doesn't use the term vulva and he makes her say that she wants him to kiss her pussy. Pussy. And it was very good. We recently talked about the problems with oral sex and historical romances. This one was very good.
1: It was very good. <laughs> However, the problem of that sex scene is that he leaves before she or
0: he have completed. She completes. No. She completes. She gets real close. Here, I can find it fast. And then he goes... No abs- offense, but Isabeau takes for fucking ever whenever she wants because you get distracted.
1: I do get distracted. Also, this book was very distracting because part of the woundedness of Robert is that he had this incredibly toxic marriage to this person named Philippa and she did this thing where they could have all kinds of sex acts, but he could never come inside of her because she feared having children and was also just a toxic human being who also had her own demons because this book never lets anyone just rest as a douchebag. Everyone has to be entirely fully fledged, which is both beautiful and intense and wonderful and terrible at once because you have to learn how to feel for everyone. It's a real practice and empathy, frankly. You were right. I know. (laughs) I literally just read this scene two days ago.
0: Please kiss my... Her voice cracked. Robert, please kiss my pussy. Please, please. He was silent. For a long moment, he did not move and then he put his arm about her bent knee and pressed his cheek against her leg very hard. He let her go. No, he said. Later. Later, perhaps. His words were so unexpected, so at odds with everything, that she hardly even understood what he meant. But then he stood up. He found her gown on the floor and laid it beside her on the bed put on your gown and go to sleep he said without another word he left her fucking rude but that's his woundedness like he won't but that's also like a particular kink which I don't think he had before Philippa I think he was trying to seduce her right right and keep her on edge but also yeah edging Mm -hmm. is what it's called (laughs) Uh, so I think that's what was happening there totally but um, yeah like Philippa refuses to have penetrative sex with him and Mm -hmm. so he's constantly doing the things he does with Foley and he does have this conflicted like you hear this conflict in his head about feeling entitled to having sex with her at one point he rapes his wife Mm -hmm. and oh yeah it's a terrible scene but also this book doesn't shy away from it yeah and what I want to point out is that he never behaves entitled with folly folly Folly. Uh, he never feels entitled with her well he never performs as if he's entitled no you know it's a little masochistic to edge somebody mm-hmm. especially without their knowledge
1: but the thing is like he's trying to seduce her because like the way in which he's acting with her has been informed by his really toxic relationship with Philippa and but then, also
0: his interest in non penetrative sex with Foley has nothing to do with fearfulness right it's just what he wants to do right like he just wants to give her pleasure or not mm-hmm. on purpose penetrative sex is not centralized mm-hmm. as an ultimate goal of this book either for sure and like it's not like and at last he was inside her like there's none of that which there's a scene where she gives him pleasure without penetrative sex I mean it's just it's just it's just very good it is very good it is very good (laughs) until you
1: mentioned it I'd almost entirely forgotten there's this awful rape scene with Philippa and what is so intense about that is they already have this bad marriage it's financially ruinous it's like reputationally ruinous like everything is going terribly and like you know she will never have penetrative sex with him and there's this like awful night where he just like that's not the thing that's gonna happen and he like rapes her and it's awful and he feels awful and dirty and like runs into the streets and has this sort of like fog of guilt around him about it and then it never comes to like an end like pretty much soon after that philippa dies so like everything that's wrong with their marriage can never be resolved and he can't apologize for his behavior
0: well the night after it happens he discovers a guru right and he starts filling his life with this spiritual Research, And we actually find out that this happens while he's in correspondence with Folly. And he becomes this fascination with spiritualism as like a solution. But by the time he's back in England, he's like, spiritualism was not a solution. There is no solution for this, for what I did, for who I am, besides constant personal work. Which is like an incredible thing for a romance novel to discover in a character. Also, I would say his personal work never feels weighted on his sexual relationship with Folly. Which is the beauty of a romance novel? Totally, that is it in a nutshell. Like you can have this like perfect sexual relationship, and a person who knows they are sexually broken, and never the twain shall meet mm-hmm. in your fantasies. Yeah, and your book. And that's what it's about. Like you can tell a real story about real people and this like plot hole or whatever is irrelevant because you're in romance genre. Mm -hmm. That's what we're here for. (laughs) That particular plot hole. Yep. It was great.
1: Hey there listeners. This is Isabel. This week's episode is brought to you by the company Lola, a female founded company offering a line of organic cotton tampons, pads, liners, and all natural cleansing wipes. What's wonderful about Lola is that Lola really gets the thing about having periods and sex as a human being. Unlike other major brands, Lola products are 100% natural and easy to feel good about. No B5 or mystery fibers or doubts about what's going in or around your body. Lola products come in simple, customizable subscriptions. Lola will deliver exactly what you need and exactly when you need it. And that's what's wonderful about this company. Another totally awesome thing about Lola is now they do sex products, things specifically designed for your pleasure, including condoms and personal lubricant. I don't know when, listener, you were first introduced to the Trojan Man or condoms ribbed for her pleasure. Ha ha ha. Condoms have been aggressively marketed towards men and their desires, but what about our needs? as women. At Lola, women come first. They understand that women should be empowered to make decisions about their sex lives and their ultra-thin lubricated condoms are made of natural rubber latex and individually tested for contraception and STI protection. The ultra-thin design and premium medical-grade silicone oil lubricant ensures a safe experience without sacrificing any of the sensation. And that should come as welcome news to all pleasure participants. For me, the personal lubricant is incredibly exciting not the least of which is because it's water-based which helps with all of my fun toys at home but it's also made with aloe vera which is soothing and smells good (laughs) the key benefits her mess free dispenser long-lasting glide made without irritating chemicals and here i want to remind you that personal lubricants are made with parabens petrochemicals glycerin which goes into bombs synthetic flavors and fragrances lola got none of that Lola understands that you want a chemical-free, gynecologist approved, hypoallergenic made for your pleasure experience. All this is to say that Lola is a female-founded company offering lines of organic cotton tampons, pads, and liners. Sex products, too. And what's so great about this is that having women at the head of a company for women products just makes it all the more personal, all the more pleasurable, all the more thoughtful. For 30% off your first month's Subscription. Visit MyLola.com That's M-Y-L-O-L-A dot And enter WO when you subscribe One last thing that I want to note is that I had a conversation with one of my dear friends Who's just leaving college now She's much younger than I am And <laughs> she was telling me about her experience with Lola And she had this wonderful thing to say Where the boxes were customizable and discreet And so that she didn't have to worry about You know, what was showing up at her dorm But even more importantly, she felt empowered by the experience and that like it didn't even have to be discreet because she got to own her period experience in a way that she hadn't before and that feeling made her feel good and that's all we're looking to do here so that's mylola.com and enter well for 30% off your first month subscription and with that listeners oh boy weirdest part. My weirdest part is the last 50 pages, wherein the plot against Robert and his poisoning comes to full fruition. And it does involve the Prince Regent, Priny Priny, and then it involves the person who his wife cuckolded him with, his former general, this other Whig inman. And here's why it's my weirdest part. Because the entire plot revolves around this idea that England is becoming too conservative, that the empire is growing too fast, and that there's this plot by the Whigs who are the progressives to overthrow this conservative Tory government. That's a project I'm behind and like it's also a project that this book wasn't quite against either because like everything that the East India Company was doing was perceived as and labeled as incorrect wrong crimes of empire crimes against humanity the way in which people talked about the people on the continent of India all of that and so also,
0: also but also but also the real reason Robert expresses at least that colonization in India is wrong is that it just costs too much money.
1: Yeah. If there you, is no ROI. Right. You want to enrich England? Don't go to India. You want to enrich a few men? Go to India.
0: And it's like this exactly. weird capitalist
1: critique of Empire that was like the few shouldn't profit at the expense of the and, and it
0: like loses the humanity
1: totally and entirely so then the project of this book is just like are you fucking kidding me the wigs are the bad guys that seems stupid and there we go that was my biggest problem the last 50 pages for me like because like I was so involved I'm like somebody is really trying to poison Robert there's this whole scene where this letter that Folly sends to Dingley to reunite him with his wife who's been Xanaxed out but really still loves him to meet at Hill gardens and then Robert gets the letter so then he wants to meet her and then they're like F- taken to a prison hulk in the Thames and there's this scene where she's blind. She's been hit so hard over the head and he points her face to the porthole and he's like, can you see the porthole? And she's like, I can't see the porthole. And there's this pause and she's like, should I be able to see the porthole? Can you see the porthole? Robert, can you see the porthole? Robert, should I be able to see the porthole? He's like, I can see the porthole and I pretty much think that your eyesight will return to you, but like, don't panic. And she's like, you can see it and I can't. I had so much true terror that this book was 100% going to make Folly blind in that moment. And like the terror was so real and also the way that he was ushering her through it in this terrible situation. Oh my
0: God, that whole thing of escaping the prison. <sighs> oh my God, it's so good. And we're back to loving the book again. <laughs> um, So I would say my... Weirdest part is a couple things. Sure. What are Um, they? Discovering that Robert's actual mental illness is just a matter of not eating food at home anymore. It was more interesting to me when, you know, and I understand that they're like, oh, he raped his wife. But the book kind of excuses that as like a logical end for the situation he was in. As opposed to like, Laura Kinsale always writes heroes with some kind of disability from what I've observed and from what we've read previously. Robert's is solved and he gains this absolute clarity an absolute authority when he stops eating the food at his house. And that was disappointing. Like if we have this thing of like he has to work through the fact that he committed sexual violence against his dead wife forever. Why couldn't we also say and he genuinely has agoraphobia or you know whatever other number of illnesses he could have been diagnosed with because he's a fictional character. That seemed strange. It seemed like a strange choice. I understand perhaps why she made it because the problems become so baroque and and like we're putting the whole system on trial that I totally get why she was probably like well I can't also have him be like bipolar. Like you said, the last 50 pages, I don't think we needed it to be that big. Mm -hmm. The other weirdest part for me is the book has this acknowledgement of the problem of colonization Mm -hmm. and kind of the problem of Robert's spirituality Mm -hmm. that he was trying to use it as a solution to his own personal shortcomings Mm -hmm. and just kept like filling the time in which he would have been self-reflecting with like ritual Mm -hmm. and research and, and things like that. But it doesn't actually actually acknowledge anything about the cultural context. No. Yeah, it just doesn't acknowledge the context of Robert's experience fully. No.
1: Although I will say that there's this wonderful moment where they're on the prison Hulk and they're under other names, Rakes or something. They've been accused of pickpocketing and forgery and they go before the warden of the prison Hulk and he's calling both Folly and Robert by this other name. And Dingley has also been taken and is being accused of a crime and they're all going to be transported to us. Australia. And there's this Hmm. transcendent moment where Dingley calls upon all of the powers of his class and rank and heterosexual older maleness. And they're like, we're going to give you 30 lashes and solitary confinement for being impudent and rude. And there's this moment where Robert has this reflection where he's like, I had seen many Indians interact with the East India Company in this way. where It's like they tried to use their rank, they tried to use whatever they had to like call to account the outrage. Yeah. When the person, the petty person in charge of my life right now needs to be appealed to in this other avenue of deference and like empathy.
0: But also not deference and empathy, like tomfoolery. Right. Like, I'm a magical person. Right. But like the thing
1: that he can... says is like, you're tired. He agrees to the terms that he is this other person. He doesn't try to say that this is false. He like enters into the bargain that says that
0: he is is the criminal and from that space. But he says, I am a criminal, but I'm also something else. Mm -hmm. I'm something beyond your understanding and beyond your simple structures, right? He uses hack psychic things to say broad statements because he now has an understanding of the spiritualism as like lies and he wields his empathy as a weapon. Yes. And to escape, to escape. I understand why he does it. But I think it would be ennobling to say that it was like an act of empathy. It was an act that used empathy.
1: Sure. It was an act that used empathy. But what was great about the internality and what's so great about Laura Kinzale is like the work that we got to to the point where he got to the like 1-800 psychic moment. He's like, oh boy, Dingley's outrage isn't going to work in this atmosphere.
0: Because it didn't work against me. What did change my mind was this like spiritualism that he has at this point in his life. But it's the spiritualism that comes
1: with like it is a manipulation, but it's like that deference to petty power where like that's the thing that the bully wants. And it's like that read that is correct.
0: But it's also a read that's like, this bully's going to believe yes. this horse shit. That's not very kind and no. not a deference and not a true act of sympathy. And I think that's like my weirdest part is that he's like, I know that when I was with the East India Company, if someone railed like this against me, I would have been like, ah, fuck you. But if the guy was like smoke and mirrors and you're cool, which he reflects on, he was like, I really liked that. I'm going to do that here. (laughs) Like it's clever and it saves their lives. But once again, the book doesn't really address the fact that like, holy shit, you had people's lives in your hands and you made decisions based on this stuff that you're like, eh, It's all hooey. I don't know. That fucking sucks. It does suck. I thought when when he was talking to the... Just say that sucks. That's a bad way of approaching the world. Totally. It's a terrible way of approaching the world. It's not heroic. I don't think it's heroic.
1: But the scene with the warden, because the warden is like such a petty officer and he's caught between a rock and a hard place. And the fact that like he's able to manipulate that is not ennobling. It's not heroic. You are right about all of those things. But he also
0: learned it from his own racist... Yes. Murder. Yes. Project. Yes.
1: Which, of course, this prison warden is also a part of. Yeah. Yeah. All of that stuff is crazy. But, it's
0: like, it's crazy and it's weird. It's and weird. it's bad. And the book doesn't, I think, handle it with the appropriate amount of sensitivity. India is not handled with
1: the appropriate right. amount of sensitivity. But here's
0: like, there's a thing where he's like, I raped my wife. I'm going to have to suffer with that for the rest of my days. And then he's like, oh, yeah, all those Indian people I murdered, I can learn how to get out of my own, not murder, but deportation via thinking about the one ones i did kill and the ones i didn't kill the thing that i
1: want to expose is that the prison warden hates his job i don't think that's exposed like the prison warden knows that what he does is wrong i don't think he does he does though cuz he says it he's like i know that i'm being played and i know that like there are powers that be that are using my position now to so, like that make me the mean that- fall guy whenever
0: someone says they're a fall guy mm-hmm. they understand themselves as a victim they right. don't understand what they're doing as wrong i know i'm the fall guy so i could just let all these people go yeah or I could stand before parliament and point out all the ways I've been used as a fall guy he's like I know I'm a fall guy yeah and I sent all these people to maybe death definite sunburns (laughs) and
1: definite suffering I
0: just want someone to acknowledge I want a magical person to acknowledge that I'm cool like that's what he's doing he doesn't hate his job he does he doesn't hate his job he wants to climb the ladder. I
1: don't think he does because he leaves the Hulk after that.
0: Yeah, because he fucked up. (laughs) By the time they get off the ship, Dingley has blown their cover. Dingley sucks. The little like, ship hand is like, the warden was wrong. The warden's full of shit. This guy isn't magical. This guy isn't this. How did they get this? the ship, ship really hand has blown man. the cover so no shit he left? It's not because he felt bad about what he was doing. It's not because he hated his job. It's because he was about to be sent to Australia himself. I mean, he did hate his job. I don't think he hated his job. I think he was like, this is my job. I have a position of power here this instant puts into sharp relief that he's not actually the power player on the boat Mm -hmm. and he wants to resolve that Mm -hmm. he wants to get back to the part of his job he Mm -hmm. likes which is being Mr. Warden in control Mm -hmm. so yeah I don't buy that he doesn't like his job I think he likes his job I think he's just been he finds himself in a situation outside of his normal purview that makes him feel like a victim (laughs) 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 <laughs> which is what Robert was doing. Yeah. And once again, Robert also sucks mm-hmm. because it's not like he's like, I'm going to have to wander the world forever trying to figure out why I murdered all of these people. Also, and like tangential apropos of kind of nothing, the last 50 pages really fall
1: apart. And one of the ways in which it falls apart is this like Robert wandering the world, having done terrible things with the East India Company and like not really acknowledging or accounting for that. But also the fact that the worst actors are Balfour, the man that Philippa cuckolded him with and his former general who are wigs, which doesn't make any political sense, but doesn't matter. That aside, but then... Political party affiliation has very little
0: to do with your actual feeling. Totally.
1: But the thing that was the weirdest for me in this scene where they've, like, captured Folly, and Dingley's been exposed, his daughters have all been kidnapped, blah, blah, blah. They're in this, like, warehouse, and they have this sleight-of-hand mirrors thing where they, like, call in the ghost of Philippa to, yeah. like, sort of, like, call everyone to account, which, yeah. cool, spooky, into it. But then her fucking dad is there and starts saying wild shit. Oh yeah, the incest stuff. Yeah, like I will kill you again if you say anything and like you can't say that and she's like I'm burning in hell and you will too and he's like don't say that. It was wrong you disgusting temptress. And so like all of the incest stuff is like laid bare and then a hundred percent left behind.
0: Well this is a pre Game of Thrones HBO TV series world in which (laughs) like I don't think you can have a dad call a dead daughter
1: burning in hell a seductress and like not comment on it again.
0: Yeah. I think like she was probably like, yep, that's it. That's everything. <laughs> what else are you going to say? Like, did you want the characters to be like, uh, do you remember when he <laughs> called his daughter a temptress? Yeah. And like maybe Philippa had a bad road to sew. I think yeah. Isn't it enough that her dad calls her a yep. temptress and says that she should burn in hell? That's pretty And rough. that he'll murder her again. Doesn't that do enough to illuminate Philippa's Kind of wanted to know how the characters Bullshit. felt about it. I yep. like them so much. I like their ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I like their ideas. I want to know their feelings. <laughs> I want to know their feelings. All right. Womance or no nomance? Oh, womance.
1: Womance. Unreserved.
0: Wall to wall. Wall to wall. Read this
1: book. Read this book. Also, Laura Kinzale. you should come on the podcast so I can uh, talk to you like a fangirl. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to say? No,
0: just loosen your stays. Okay. With that, loosen your stays. Now your principles. Mm-hmm. Mwah! Whoa, golly gee, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance.
1: Womance is hosted by Isabeau that's me
0: and Morgan that's me production is by Nick Gravelin
1: our web mistress is the incomparable Jane Bonzak
0: and our illustration and logo were created by Mary Reichman they're the best
1: if you'd like to follow creep or connect with <laughs> us on our social media platforms you can find us at mans underscore woe on twitter womans on instagram or email at womansmail at gmail.com. you can also hang out out on our amazing website at womancepodcast.com.
0: You can support us by using our code to visit our sponsors or go to our Patreon where we are Womance.
1: Womance is officially part of the Frolic Podcast Network.
0: Discover more podcasts just like our own centering on romance and reading at frolic.media slash podcast. Until next week.